0: So, this morning we're going to be carrying on with our, our Proverbs series. So we've been doing that for about the last month and a half, two months now. Um, just working our way through the book of Proverbs and looking at what uh, Proverbs says to us about our lives, about how we interact with God, so forth, so forth. So, this morning we're going to be looking at um, what the book of Proverbs says about our plans and what we should do with our plans, who we should trust with our plans, so forth. So, couple of questions I'm going to throw out. Here. I want you to start thinking about your own life. Um, what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? Not big questions, are they? How are you planning to get there? What's your, what's your plan of action? Um, I, I'm assuming most people in this, if not all of, all of us in this room, have got some plans. Um, so what are the plans for your life? What are the things that you're thinking, this is what I want it for my life to look like? For some of you here, it might be, actually, I want to get married. Some of you think, uh, maybe I want a family. Maybe I want one kid, two kids. Maybe I want more kids than the huntings. There's not going to be many of you, but there might be a few. Um, Maybe you want a successful career. Maybe you want that dream job. That's what you're thinking. That's my plan. Maybe you're thinking, I want to get my own house, have a mortgage. Maybe you want to pay off your mortgage. Maybe those are your plans. Maybe you want to travel the world. Maybe you want to be famous. You want to be... A big singer, dancer, get on X Factor, whatever. That might be your plan. Maybe you want to get rich. That might be your plan. The question is, though, who is going to make these plans come about? Who is responsible for them? In whose hands are you going to trust your plans? And we all know, if I was to say, what's the answer, what should we all say? We all know the Christian... The Sunday school answer is Jesus, is, is, the, is the answer we should be saying here as, as, uh, as good Christians. Um, but what does culture say? What does culture say as to who should be responsible for your plans? Who do you think? You. Yeah, you are responsible for your own plans. That culture clearly says it again and again, and you'll hear it um, more often than you probably realise. So there's a famous poem um, by a guy called William Henley. Uh, it's called Invictus, made fam- uh, more famous recently by Nelson Mandela, but it's, it's been made famous by Winston Churchill. It's, it's a big poem. This guy is actually from Gloucester, so he's a local lad. The last two lines of uh, his poem up, up there, they're, they're quite well known. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Clearly saying, who's in charge? We are. We are in charge of our fate. We're in charge of our soul. Another guy you probably wouldn't have heard of, but... He appears to be quite a big, big, big wig in the American kind of uh, motivational speaking scene. He's uh, earned loads of bucks selling kind of books and talks and stuff like that. And he says this: "Um, a sign of wisdom and maturity is when you come to terms with the realization that your decisions cause your rewards and consequences. You are responsible for your life, and your ultimate success depends on the choices you make. So the other day, I put to Google, um, our other gods that tells us all the answers we need to know. I just put the question: Is who is responsible for my life? The whole of the front page, all every single answer on the front page, took me to websites which fall into the category of what we'd call self-help. Um, you see, our generation is swamped with the self-help genre. We have gurus in absolutely every single uh, department of our life saying, this is how you can live life better. This is how you can be happy. This is how you can be successful. This is how you can be content. Many of these gurus are self-proclaimed, but they are who they are. And they have got information and so-called wisdom that is helpful for us to live a better life. So, basically, the self-help genre takes the theme of, actually, what you need to do is go about changing your habits, changing your attitudes, changing uh, your expectations, changing the way you think, and actually, that will bring you to happiness and success. So, basically, if you try hard enough, that will sort it out. You'll get there. And the thing is, if you haven't, if you haven't got there, then you obviously haven't tried hard enough, and so you need another self-help book to give you a different dynamic to get you there. Um. So this past, uh, the last few days, a number of our leaders here have been away um, at a conference with um, the network of churches we're part of called Advance, and we have some friends in uh, one of the Advance churches down in Waterloo in London. Um, They're a brainy bunch, these guys. Um, I would not fit in there, but they do, they release this really good um, leaflet. They basically write, write this little kind of article, this leaflet, which they hand out at train stations once a week, and it's called Salt. Um, and basically what they do is uh, each one is written uh, just reflecting on something on popular culture, something that people could easily read, pick up, think, oh yeah, this is interesting, I can read this, and at the end there's suddenly a twist to say, actually, none of this answers, you need Jesus, basically. But it's, it's written really well, and if you haven't signed up, you can sign up for the line, get it free for email, I get them, and I think they're great, but there's one back in March called the Self-Improvement Generation, and it, goes, it talks about how we've had this explosion in self-help genre in the past couple of decades, and it comes out, with, it had a couple of stats in there. It. it says, in the UK, self-help books have become the most popular genre of books. More important, more bigger than science fiction. Shock horror to some of you sci-fi fans, I can see you. Um, uh, more popular than autobiographies, more popular than any other genre of book. Self-help is uh, what's, what's flying off the bookshelves at the moment. Sales in the US topped 11 billion, uh, 11 billion annually and they'd grown more than 15% in 2015. The Arts Council in the UK even funds a national scheme called Reading Well, through which doctors can prescribe self-help books to reduce anxiety, self-harm, and depression. So even our medical professions, well-trained people, are saying, actually, this is the answer that we need. Self-help is the way to go. So so I think we could be uh, forgiven for believing that... um, what used to be once a niche category, a niche genre, uh, the self help stuff, is now uh, a postmodern cultural phenomenon. phenomenon. You know the word. Um, and it can lead our generation to think it's something new, but actually, uh, I would argue it's not anything new at all. It's just become a lot bigger. So again, going back to that uh, so it says, uh, said in the self-help is just a secular manifestation of an age-old, almost universal impulse to improve ourselves. Much of the history of religion is the account of people striving for a higher standard of humanity, be it under the guise of karma, holy righteousness, or Torah law observance. In the secular West, we've just done away with the religion, but the desire to improve ourselves has not been lost. You are the answer to your success and happiness. That is what self-help teaches you. You are the answer. Equally, what it teaches you, if you don't um, reach that uh, stage in your life where you feel content, where you feel successful, where you feel happy, then you have done something wrong and you need to work harder and try harder at it. So uh, my general feeling, if self-help books were the answer, then they would stop releasing more. There's literally thousands of these uh, just being written all the time. But surely if one of them had the answer, then actually that would be the last one that people brought and think, I don't need any more. I've got it. But actually these books keep coming out because actually these books never answer this this desire to be satisfied and to be fulfilled and to have uh, your goals achieved, so forth. We still live in a culture um, where depression is rampant. People are unhappy. People feel like failures. People feel like they, they need a bit more to feel successful, and people are uncontent. I'm not saying that's all the time or every single one in every moment. We, we, we all know people who feel happy and content at certain times in their life, but in a general kind of culturally, that's where we're at. So maybe the problem is, maybe making plans is the bad thing. Maybe if we didn't make plans, then all that would mean is we wouldn't fail. Because And actually, maybe that's the way to contentment. However... I think that's slightly ridiculous. Um, I think we all make plans. I think it's just common sense. It's just what you do. It's just what needs to be done. Um, I think if anyone here was not to make plans at all, I think actually the reality is you wouldn't feel content. You'd probably feel more like you're bored. You'd feel unmotivated. Uh, You'd probably feel quite lonely because no one would want to hang out with you because you would never make plans with them. Um, (laughs) Proverbs if uh, we're going to go back to the book of proverbs actually the proverbs clearly says actually if you never make plans you're basically a sluggard okay so if you've been in the book of proverbs it says a lot about the sluggard we've, we've had it before so I won't go into it now but you can go away and read about the sluggard in the book of proverbs okay so what are we to do then so we believe plans are a good thing we believe you need to make plans but we also recognise we're pretty unsuccessful at making good plans that uh, leave us satisfied, leave us feel like we're, we've made it, we've got there, we're happy. So what do we do? Well, I'd argue um, we're going to go back to the Sunday school answer: we have to trust in God. Actually, God has to be the one we trust with our plans. And so from here on, we're going to move away from the kind of self-help stuff and we get into the the God-help stuff. Um, so there's going to be loads of Bible guys. I think one of the, you get one of those prayers where when people pray for preachers, they kind of say, God, let, the, let your words kind of st- stick with people. Let everything that the preacher says that is not from you fall away, which I get, I get the idea. But if you're going to take anything away today, if I read from the Bible, believe that it's God's spoken word. It is the very word of God, the God who created all things. This is his word that he's speaking to us as people. So if I read from the Bible, believe it, take it in your heart. You can get rid of anything else I say. Hear, hear what the Bible said, yeah. Believe, have faith that this is the spoken word of God. Okay, so we're going to be looking at the Book of Proverbs, and we said it previously in uh, in this series that Proverbs can quite easily be interpreted as being a self help book. It's not a self help book. It is full of practical wisdom for our life. But actually, I believe the writer Solomon, when he wrote it, he wasn't writing it just to give you kind of a happy and successful self help kind of like uh, book to read. He wrote it because actually he um, had a relationship with God that overflowed with wisdom and his desire is that people, when they read, read this, they would be uh, drawn closer to God and overflow of wisdom would come out of their lives as well. So this is why we're dipping into Proverbs because we believe actually um, God is using it to draw us nearer to him. So two questions that we're going to be looking at in the book of Proverbs that's going to, well, Proverbs is going to help us kind of unpack this morning are why should we trust God with our plans? and how do we trust God with our plans? So the why is a bit more important, so we're going to kick off there. So why do we bother trusting God with our, with our plans? We're going to be looking at a few verses, and um, I think they'll come up. There's three Proverbs verses that will come up on the screen. Let's read them quickly. So it says, In the hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan, that can succeed against the Lord. What you find with uh, these three verses and quite a lot of the verses we're going to look at this morning is we can separate these verses into two. On, on one side, it's what God says. In the, next, in the next part of the proverb, it's what God promises. So you see that? So in the hearts, humans plan their course. That's what God says. He, then what does He promise? He says, But the Lord establishes the steps. So he's going to be doing that this morning. He's going to, God's going to be saying stuff, and then he's going to be promising stuff. So I want you to hear the promises that God is saying to us this morning, okay? Just before we... I said, I said the why is the important thing, and we are going to get there. But I just want to unpack something quickly with these verses, because I think this is a, uh, we can quite easily misinterpret what these verses are saying. So I just want to just explore, the, uh, have a quick side note. So this, the simplistic uh, way to interpret these verses, like the, the quick off-the-cuff Interpretation when we read these verses is God is in control; His will will come about. We we see that down the promises, the Lord establishes steps, the Lord's purpose prevails. Uh, There's no wisdom that can succeed against the Lord. Do you get that? It's very clear. It says God is in control, and we believe that, don't we? Yeah. You sure? Okay. Well, this is where the this is where the kind of the um, we can easily get confused. So, on one hand, if God is fully in control. And we mean fully in control, what do we mean by that? We mean actually, uh, as by definition, he's all-knowing, all-powerful. There's nothing that can surprise him that he cannot know. The flip side of that is, actually, um, we do not uh, get to make any choices. Actually, I think it's already ordained, I think it's already established by God. And so, kind of, what is the point? Uh, free will is just an illusion. Do you understand that complexity? On the flip side, if God is not fully in control, if he's not sovereign... Uh, and he, he's not really in control, then really we have genuine free will. But the problem with that is we're left out in God's uh, sovereignty and trust ourselves more than we do him. So what is the answer? I mean, on one hand, we do believe God is fully in control. Yeah? Do you still believe that? You sure? On the other hand, we've got, we got choices to make. Do you believe that? So you believe both? How do the two work together? Well, I believe it's another one of those examples. We get a few of them in the Bible of these kind of like mathematical things that don't really work out. Um, so I'll give you a few examples from the Bible that we all believe. Um, the Trinity. We believe God is free in one. We believe there's only one God. There's only one God and that's, that's our Father in heaven. But we believe actually there's uh, three parts of God. They're all fully God, but we believe uh, they're not... And we, we, so they're all 100% God, but they're all 100% separate identities. Doesn't make sense mathematically, but we believe it because the Bible teaches us that. and We believe it by faith. Equally, we believe Jesus incarnate as God as a man, we believe he's 100% God, 100% man. Doesn't make sense mathematically, but we believe it because the Bible says it. Equally, in this example here, we believe God is fully in control, but we believe we have total free will. Both are totally true. Because if one is not true, then the other one falls apart dramatically and then we're we're left in a really uh, sticky situation. It may not make full sense, but it is very practical to our lives. Is very practical help, and the reason why that is, is because um, if we know that God is fully in control, we can relax, but we can live in a way that's like, actually, our lives actually mean something, and we can actually have purpose, um, so, so having, having both in our context when we're making plans, when we're making decisions, is just really helpful. If you're still thinking, well, that just doesn't answer it for me, well, back when I was a teenager, we used to meet with... Um, A group of us lads, all all teenagers, used to meet with our church leader and we used to come up with the most complex questions we could think of to try and uh, really kind of get under church leader's skin, see if we could trick him and and see if he could not answer some of our our questions. So we'd ask about the dinosaurs, we'd ask, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons, we'd ask, ask, why do men have nipples, why did God create men with nipples, it it doesn't make sense. And so these were the great questions we'd ask, ask our church leader and he used to always answer us with uh, this really annoying verse in the Bible, which is Deuteronomy 29:29. And it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things rebe- revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of his law. So basically the Bible's saying, what is in the Bible is for us to know. What is not there is for us not to know. God can have secrets. He doesn't have to share all his knowledge with us. And we just have to deal with that. So that's where we're at with that. So I just wanted to explain, that's a simplistic understanding of those verses, um, but both are true. So there's a whole load of more examples of the Bible um, saying exactly the same thing God says and God promises. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. It says the same thing. Isaiah 14.24, The Lord of hosts has sworn. As I have planned, so shall it be and as our purpose socially stands. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, if you want a New Testament verse, it says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor a heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's all these verses that say exactly the same thing, that actually we can make plans, but God's purposes prevail. So the practical outworking of this in our lives is that we, can, we are held responsible for our actions and our plans, but at the same time we can relax because God is in control. But let's go back to why should we trust God with our plans? That was a question I asked in the first place, and that's a big sidetrack, but I think it was an important sidetrack. So why should we trust God with our plans? Firstly, because he is good. He is a good God. His character in and of himself is good. The Bible is clear about that. It says it again and again and again. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Good God has good plans for his people, okay, not for evil. And so we can trust him because he is good. Why else can we trust him? Because he is faithful. He is faithful to his own plans, and uh, therefore he will be faithful to the promises of his word about our plans. What do I mean by he is faithful to his own plans? Well, we see God's faithfulness most in his big story. Um, I think Florence prayed earlier and alluded to the big story. If most of us will know the big story, because the big story is in the Bible. For those who don't, I'm going to recap it because I love it. It stirs my heart and I hope it stirs yours as well. So it's a, the it's a story of Genesis to Revelation, um, 66 books of the Bible. So start off in Adam and Eve in Genesis, God created humans because he, he wanted a relationship with them. Um, the humans were told to, they were told not to do one thing, and the one thing they were told not to do, they did. They went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They believed the lie. The lie was that God was not to be trusted, and they did not trust God with their plans. And that's why they did what God told them not to do. So because of this sin, because of what they'd done wrong, they were cast out, they were separated from God. Um, and the next 38 books of the Bible is God's uh pl- trying to show his love to his people, that they would trust him with their plans and come back to him and follow him. So the, in those 30 books, 38 books of the Bible, the, um, the separation from God is still there and it's symbolised by the curtain in the temple saying actually God is one side of the temple, you people on the other side of the, um, one side of the curtain, you people on the other side of the curtain because we can't be together because of your sin. We get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, New Testament kicks off. And uh, we read that God becomes a man, God becomes a baby, first of all, gro- lives this perfect life, and because of this perfect life, he um, can take our punishment, the sin that we deserve to be punished for, he took on himself at the cross, but it didn't end there, he went to the grave, but he rose again, and because he rose again, we celebrated last week at Easter, that actually he's defeated not only sin, but he's defeated death, and we can celebrate in that, he ascends to heaven seated on the throne. The next 22 books of the Bible is God out working this... Ra- um, uh, his people uh, radically pursuing a life of trusting God wanting to know uh, what their life looks like trusting God with their plans and that's what we read about in the church uh, in the next 22 books of the Bible what the re- one of the things that keeps them going uh, even when things are looking bad in the church, is the fact that the books don't end on the 65th, uh, 65th book of the Bible. It ends on the sixty-six, which is Revelation. We read in Revelation, there's a triumphal king seated on the throne, waiting for his bride to return home for those who trusted him with their plans because they know eternity is coming for them. And that is the big story. That is the big story that we can trust because God is faithful in his story. We can trust him with our stories, with our plans. Believe it, guys. Believe it, this is the big story that is about all creation. We have a God who remains faithful to us with his big story and his big plan for all creation, even when we continue to be unfaithful to him, just like Adam and Eve. We were in the same situation as them. So why should we trust God with our plans? Because he is good in his character. In and of himself, he is a good God. Why should we trust him? Because he is faithful to us. He was faithful in his big story. And we can have a secure and certain hope in the future that actually we have eternal life waiting for us. That is why we can trust him with our plans. How do we trust God with our plans? Uh, Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The interesting thing about this verse is when we read it, uh, most of us will read it in the wrong way, straightway. Our all interpretation in our heads it is wrong. So what we'll tend to read it more like is uh, commit your plans to the Lord and then your deeds will succeed. I don't know if you picked up the difference there. It's subtle, but it's a big difference. So an alternative way of saying it is, our way of understanding it is commit your plans to the Lord. Just kind of saying, oh Lord, bless my plan. And then the execution of those will succeed. That's not what God's saying in this, in this um, proverb at all. It was, we're basically saying, God, please come and honour our plans and bring them to success. That's what, that's what our interpretation of this proverb so quickly goes through. But that's not what God's saying. In fact, in fact it's saying exactly the opposite. So, when we commit ourselves to God in every of our life, he will establish the God-given plans for our lives. Massive difference So the Hebrew word for commit basically means to roll over onto. So uh, to fully trust. So you can imagine, I don't know, that I guess the, the scene in Indiana Jones when he has to jump onto the imaginary bridge. Actually, his full body weight is going onto something that he cannot see. And this word commit is put your full body weight onto, roll over onto. And so Jesus is saying, actually, trust me completely with your lives. Trust me completely with your lives, and then I will establish... Um, my plans and your life will be sorted basically that's what the verse is saying so we need to unconditionally trust God with um, all the things that happen in our lives so unconditionally trusting God you will slowly become a person who makes wise plans plans in accord with reality plans in accord to who God is who you are and plans that honor God a more famous verse in Proverbs that uh, if you went, ever went to Sunday school, you probably would have had this as a memory verse, but it says exactly the same thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So, again, I don't, um, what I'm saying about God says and, and God promises, everywhere where I put the, the bold and the italics is actually his promise that comes with after what God says. So those two verses, clearly says, he will establish our plans, and he will make your path straight. And how do we get there? It's by fully committing, rolling over onto him, put a full weight onto him, and say, God, I fully commit to you. Then your plans get sorted. So um, examples of this elsewhere in the Bible. We've got Psalms. So guys, the reason why I'm giving you the examples from elsewhere in the Bible is I think sometimes we can read the Proverbs quite individually as a, a book that's quite different, different and separate to the rest of the Bible. What, what I'm trying to show you here is actually Proverbs is just as int- uh, integrated into the rest of the Bible as, as any other book. Uh, so we read in Psalm 37, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Or again, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many times have you had that quoted to you? God will give you the desires of your heart. But how many times do they say, <laughs> commit to the Lord first and then he will give the desires of your heart? Do you see? This is what all these verses are saying, the same thing. Or if you want to go New Testament, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, we so easily interpret that verse as like a genie. God will give us what we, what we wish. But he said, actually, commit yourself fully to him. And when you commit fully to him, actually the things we ask will be God-glorifying. And why would he not want to give us things which are God-glorifying? He, he, that's what he wants to do. So God promises that if you live a life fully committed to him, the result of this is your plans will be sorted. So an example of how this outworks in your life. Um, Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel but with many advisors they succeed. So the outworking of this verse is commit your life fully to Jesus. When you commit your life fully to him, your heart starts to change. As your heart starts to change, uh, you become more like Jesus and one of, those, um, one of the outworking of that is humility. When you are humble, you're so much easier to seek guidance from others. As you seek guidance from others, um, your, your plans are more likely to uh, succeed. Do you get that? Do you get that working? That comes from a changed heart, leads you to successful plans because of how your character changes and then you're a- then able to make wise decisions. Yeah? Because I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes as Christians, we can so easily think, oh God, just just guide me. And that's, that's a good prayer to ask. But I think equally God says, commit your life really to me, every area of your life. And actually you'll make wise decisions. And so I think... Um, uh, Tim Keller, he, uh, uh, he basically says, when people come to my church and say, what should I do? He says, make a decision. He says, just make a decision. Um, because actually he, he believes actually by faith that actually if you're living a life committed to Jesus, you'll start making decisions which glorify him and, um, and will come about. And if God really doesn't want you to do that, then I think he will guide you in a different direction. So you do not need to worry. Great, so that's the practical working of um, these, these proverbs how God guides us is commit to him life change then we make wise decisions so godly character produces wisdom wisdom produces wise choices in life wise choices in life means uh, the, the desires of our heart are established the things we want to see in our life come about so the answer to how do we trust God with our plans is by trusting Him fully rolling over onto him with our whole lives I think the the reality is, is probably quite a, um, our natural response, when I said this morning we're going to be looking at how to trust, one of the questions we'll be answering is how to trust God with our lives, is uh, we probably were expecting almost a self-help manual. Um, okay, I need to do this, 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 this and then then it will happen. This He's, he's about to tell me. And that, I think that's a natural response. But the reality is, God says, commit to me. Just commit to me. I think it, it's difficult sometimes making decisions. There's decisions that you know. If I make this, it's going to affect uh, my life dramatically. This is going to affect my family's life. This is going to affect others. And, and I, I get that. It's, there's a real tension, I think, for, for m- me and uh, my family at the moment, I guess for me and Vic, we're thinking, okay, God, what is your plan for life? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to look like? We believe God's calling us to go church planning, but we think, God, we don't know where. Um, and in one sense, I, I want to apply this to my life and just make a decision. But at the moment, I think, I, I, I don't even if I had an inkling of, actually, I really want to go here, then I'd start making a decision and see if God lets me go down that route. But it's just not happening at the moment. I'm saying, God, come on. And I feel the sense of frustration saying, I want to know where you're calling me to. But at the moment, I feel like, actually, this is where God is calling me to. Um, and I feel, once I get a sense of, actually, maybe this is the error, I will pursue that and I'll just make a decision and see if God opens that door. And that's how I'm just going to have to outwork. And I think there's that tension of, actually, what happens if I feel the call to go somewhere which maybe I'm not going to be happy about? Or maybe I think, actually, it's going to affect my, my kids and their lives. So I think, actually, we can stay in Cheltenham and, and that would have a great education, they'd have maybe quite a comfy life, but maybe we could go somewhere else where you think, Actually, the schooling could completely, dramatically change. They could be in a situation where they could be exposed to a lot more things, and these decisions are real, and I don't want to downplay that, but actually, in the context of the big story, we need to believe that actually God is faithful, God is good, and God is trustworthy, and we have an eternal life that if we trust him and fully fully commit to him, then he will establish plans in our life and we, we, know, we know he is good and we know those plans will be for our good. For some of us this morning, I guess the, the big question more so is, uh, for those of you who don't know Jesus, is would I be willing to trust this, this God, this Jesus with my life? Have I heard enough? And it might be that actually the, uh, the 3 to one courses probably uh, might be where you're at and thinking, actually, I need to know more. I'd like to know more about this God. I'm, I'm intrigued enough and I want to encourage you to get on there. Um, or for some of you this morning might be the moment you think, you know what, I have heard enough. This is the Jesus I want to know. I want to follow. Uh, I want my plans to be established. I've read the self-help books and they ain't helping. And this morning you can know Jesus and you can know that he has a plan for your life, a plan for good and not for harm. For some of us who are Christians, some of us who who are already living a life with Jesus and trying to see, uh, trust him with our plans. The reality is for many of us, we can have uh, an intellectual answer, which is different to our heart answer. Intellectually, we know, yes, we should trust God with our plans. He is the one we should trust with our plans. We know the Sunday school answer. But reality, the, uh, the way our lives look, it doesn't match up. Our heart response is different to our head response. And what does that look like? It looks like actually we might be dipping into that self-improvement mentality. I've heard people say in this church, oh, why don't we have more um, preaches which are about kind of free steps to uh, senior life change, that sort of thing. And we think actually we're not a church which is about self-help. We're a church which is about gospel transforming our lives to fill us with godly wisdom. And that's how we pursue uh, the God we serve. It might come out, if if you are if you do have a different head and uh, head and heart kind of reaction to trusting God with your plans, it might come out with fear and worry and panic. God says, "Fear nothing but the Lord alone." He says that because He's established plans for you which are good, so you don't need to fear. It might be that you're trying harder. You think, "Okay, that didn't work. Okay, I'm going to try really hard at this plan. Okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try really hard at this plan." It might be that you're overly plan. That is not me, but some people are like that, and they think, I'm going to think for every single detail. How can I make sure this plan is successful? Um, and that's, that stresses you out, and it burdens you down, and you're tired, and you think, oh, God, I, I want to trust you with my plan. Some of you, where your head and heart are different, is um, you just don't ask God. You go about making decisions in um, your all-mac responses okay, this has happened, okay, I'm going to do this, or I want to see this, so I'm going to go this way. And you haven't even said, God, what do you want? Help me. Um, And So the encouragement this morning is we need to roll over onto him. We need to trust him fully with our lives. So the psalmist, um, he writes in Psalm 143, um, he says, show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Guys, that is the prayer that I hope we can pray this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, if you are saying that Jesus is king of your life, if, that Jesus is the one that you want to serve, the one that you want to worship, the one that you want to trust with your plans, this is the prayer I want you to pray again this morning. Say, God, show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. And I think that needs to be our response this morning. That needs to be our response. Um, if you're not a Christian this morning... And you want to become a Christian, if you want to know Jesus, then we want to pray with you because we believe he will transform your life for the better in every area of your life. If you are a Christian this morning and you think I need to, I've got big decisions to make and um, I maybe haven't been trusted God or I've been in fear and panic or I've been over planning or I've been trying to h- try harder, I've been in self-improvement, I've been all these things then we would love to pray for you this morning to say, God, I want to trust you fully with my life. I want to roll over onto you and say every decision, it needs to go to you because I want to live a life that uh, is uh, successful and is established. Plans are clearly established because you have made them.